0: Hello, this is Andy, and you're listening to Federal Andy. Episode 47, Seditious Conspiracy and... G.W. Bush Lies. In case you haven't heard, the top two guys in the Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes and Kelly Meggs, have now been convicted of seditious conspiracy, which is a very serious crime against the United States of America. They face up to a 20 year maximum prison sentence on that charge. Three other defendants, Kenneth Harrelson, Jessica Watkins, and Thomas Caldwell, were convicted of obstructing an official proceeding, which also carries a 20-year maximum sentence. The defendants were convicted on multiple charges, and a judge could issue a sentence that exceeds 20 years if the judge feels that uh, the particular situation with that individual warrants a longer sentence. And, of course, the judge could decide that the sentence uh, the defendants should be given is less than the maximum allowed. Hearings for sentencing typically happen within three months or so after the verdict is reached. So, we will have to wait and see what uh, they're going to be handed down in the way of sentencing. probably be next year sometime. The defendants, all of them, will remain behind bars during this time. And the judges, uh, or I'm, I should say actually the lawyers that represented the, the Oath Keepers, have said that they're disappointed in the verdict, but that they feel that they're clients received a fair trial. So the judge has to be given credit for running a pretty tight courtroom during this trial. It's my understanding that this seditious conspiracy uh, guilty verdict has only been handed down uh, uh, like a handful of times in our country's history. I went back to look And I found some conflicting information, but it doesn't look like it's a common thing at all. And I think that that very well could have been part of the reason why it took so long for this to get to trial is because there's not a lot of precedent, especially anything recently. I think the most recent one was back in the 1990s. Uh, Some of you may remember that there was a, uh, I think it was a a bomb in a van or something, went off in the parking garage at one of the World Trade Center towers. And that was, uh, I, I believe that was the last time that something like that happened. So, that's all well and good. I think that they deserve it. However, I really want to know... Who else is involved? Are we supposed to believe that these two guys and their cronies got together and planned this whole thing out without any help from anybody else? I don't think so. I think that there are some people higher up in politics that are going to come down with this as well. Because I just don't think... From what I've seen, that these guys are, uh, <laughs> well, I, would, I don't know. I don't know what their intelligence level is, but I, I don't know that they would be smart enough to plan this on their own. I suppose it could be possible, but it sure seems to me like there's some insider help. Hopefully, we'll find out soon. So we... Heard from the FBI director after this verdict, and we heard from the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland as well. And Christopher Ray made a comment that uh, said, quote, the FBI will always uphold the rights of all citizens who peacefully engage in First Amendment protected, protected activities But we and our partners will continue to hold accountable those who engaged in illegal acts regarding the January 6th, 2021 siege on the U.S. Capitol. End quote. So there you go. I would say, with the attorneys, the lawyers that represented the oath keepers saying that they feel like their clients received a fair trial, it would be really difficult for people to scream that they didn't receive a fair trial, huh? When their own lawyers are saying they did. So let's just put the brakes on that right now because I've already kind of heard people saying that it was not fair, and obviously their own attorneys, their own lawyers don't agree with, with that at all. I still have a lot of questions about this, however, one of the first questions that I actually have is, I want to know how these folks that broke into the U.S. Capitol that day knew which offices to go into in the U.S. Capitol. It's my understanding that members of the Senate and the very top people in the House of Representatives all have two offices. They have the regular office, which is located in one of the House or Senate buildings near the Capitol. That's the one where they've got the folks to answer the phone, and their staffers hang out, and and all of that. And in addition to that, there are hideaway offices, which are often pretty close to the Senate floor chamber and the House chamber, but they're unmarked and unknown to most. Most. And this is a place where members of Congress can kind of go to get away from everyone. They can get away from reporters. They can get away from their staffers. They can just kind of escape and have a minute to make a phone call or write a note, send a card, whatever they need to do. And... It's also a place where members of the House or if one of them happens to have one of these hideaway offices or uh, uh, one of the senators can meet with another senator in private if they're trying to work something out. And these offices don't bear their names or anything like that. So somebody had to have told these folks where these offices were located, how to get to them. Because it's not, apparently it's not common knowledge. And so I'd really like to know how that all came about. And that has not been made clear yet. Another thing that bothers me is I would really, really like to know why it is that Senator Grassley, on January 5th, the day before the attack on the Capitol, the day before the electoral count vote was to be done in the Senate, why he said that he would probably be the one doing this, because he didn't think Pence would be available or wouldn't be there. I want to know why he said that. What would have possibly made him think the day before that Pence wasn't going to be there, unless he somehow knew that there was going to be something going on on the 6th? And if that's the case, as a senator, why wasn't he waving the red flag of, you know, hey, guys, this is a problem. I still want to know why Pence's key cards, his and and his Secret Service and his staff members, their cards that allow them access in and around the Capitol were deactivated on January 6th. I'd like to know, you know, why that happened. And some of the folks in Congress reported that the panic buttons that they have in their offices by their desks were not working. So there's still an awful, awful lot of questions that need to be answered. But I think the one thing that most people truly want to know is... When are we going to get to the folks at the top? It's getting really close to the two-year mark now. And we've heard all of the excuses that the Justice Department doesn't talk about this stuff. They don't release details until they're ready to go. That makes perfect sense to me. And that they start at the bottom and work their way up to the top. And we've seen that a lot of these folks that participated in the what I think is a domestic terrorist attack to overthrow the government, we've seen a lot of these folks go on trial and be sentenced. I know that a lot of people have said that the sentencing for some of them seems to be on the light side. But there have been some that have received more serious sentences. But we have not really cracked the top level of people that surely must have been involved or had knowledge somehow. And that concerns me because all of these folks took an oath And if they swore an oath and didn't keep it, they shouldn't be able to keep their seats. They should be expelled, removed from their seat. I've mentioned this before in previous podcasts that I feel like there are lots of people in Congress who are involved because the fact of the matter is When January 6th happened and the Capitol got torn up and people were hurt, Congress went back into session late to get all of the electoral stuff taken care of that they needed to do. And there were still Republicans who voted to not certify the Electoral College vote. Now, this is in the absence of any evidence that anything was wrong. Is that not obstruction of justice? Was that not an attempt to interfere with the proceedings that day, which is illegal, by the way? Any attempt by someone to delay or subvert or prevent a, an official action, uh, official uh, thing in Congress is it's illegal. And they should be removed from their seats. And I'm just wondering if that may be why it is taking the Department of Justice so long to do this. Because if they've got over 100, whatever it is, members in Congress that are also a part of this, the paperwork has got to take some time, huh? And especially keeping it quiet. It's got to take quite a bit of time. So I guess we'll find out at some point, (laughs) hopefully sooner rather than later, In other news that's come up recently, uh, Speaker of the House Wannabe Kevin McCarthy has officially notified the January 6th committee to retain all documents related to their investigation because he's going to do some checking for himself. Apparently, he is not keeping up with things because the January 6th committee has already announced that they have completed all of the interviews and that they are preparing a report, and along with that report will go the documentation to back it up, and they plan to release all of that to the public and to the Justice Department at the same time, before the end of the year probably before Christmas. So that'll give everybody some Christmas reading, maybe. And it hopefully will spoil Christmas for a few people who realize that they're in big, big, big trouble. Maybe it will cause some of these folks to shut their mouths. Good grief. I... (laughs) I'm not a fan of Twitter, but I have been spending more time on Twitter. I have to kind of force myself to do it. It has become really awful since Elon Musk bought the the company. The moderation is non-existent unless it seems like if you're on the left side, if you're progressive, if you're liberal, they come down on you a lot harsher than they do on the ones who are on the right. And that's just an observation that I've made. It's not a scientific one, but I do see people on the left complaining that they've lost followers and some of them have said that they have been taken off Twitter as a punishment for a period of time or whatever. And meanwhile, they're bringing back all of the crazy people who promote violence on the right that have been suspended permanently in some cases. Apparently permanent doesn't mean forever anymore, at least not in Elon Musk's world. So (laughs) there's still a lot going on, but uh, we're going to find out, I would say, in less than a month what uh, the J6 committee came up with. And I have a feeling, I hope, that it's going to really make people stop and, and realize how dangerously close we came to losing our country because of the actions of the folks involved in the failed coup attempt. <music> In other news that recently came to light, we can now verify that President, former President George W. Bush, is certainly in a race to tie for the worst president ever in the history of the country because a <laughs> there was a secret meeting Back on April ninth, 2004, in which then-President George W. Bush had a, I guess you could call it a very unusual event in the Oval Office, and that was a meeting with the 10 members of the 9-11 Commission along with Dick Cheney, and at this meeting, these 9-11 Commission members got to ask Bush and Cheney any question that they wanted to ask about the September 11th attacks, and the questions and the responses to those questions from Bush and Cheney have been a secret Ever since. But in November, the government declassified a 31 page memorandum for the record, as it was called, which has the notes that the commissioners took during that meeting and the memorandum shows that the commissioners gave bush multiple opportunities to acknowledge the many documented warnings that he had received from his very own government prior to the attack documents that warned him that Al-Qaeda was going to attack, and Bush failed to act. Instead, he passed the buck. That's just another Republican lie. So much for America being safer with Republicans in charge. Really? The worst terrorist attack ever on our own soil was with Republicans in charge? And that was from a foreign adversary. And the worst domestic terrorist attack to date to happen on American soil also happened with another Republican in office, Donald Trump. So... (laughs) One of the things apparently that seems to stand out among most of the experts from that conversation that day um, was, well, it's hard to pick one out. There's a whole bunch of them, basically, but... According to CIA Director George Tenet, the threat was overseas. That was what George said. And the implication from George W. Bush at that time, it was clear that he wanted the commission and also the public to hear from the commission to believe that it was impossible that anybody could have possibly anticipated that Al-Qaeda was in the process of mounting a large-scale attack on U.S. soil at that particular time. But the fact is, the CIA, under George Tenet, actually had warned Bush more than once that Al-Qaeda could strike anywhere, anytime, at any place, and that all U.S. citizens were potential targets. The most notorious warning that Bush was given, among many others, was a CIA briefing that said, quote, Bin Laden determined to strike in U.S., end quote. That was in a presidential daily briefing that Bush could not possibly have cared less about because he said, okay, you guys have covered your rear ends, only that's not the word he used. And then he left because he was in a hurry. He wanted to go fishing. So... Keep that in mind, America. Next time the Republicans tell you they want your vote, their president, George W. Bush, was more concerned with getting to the lake to fish than he was about your personal safety. It's a very unpleasant fact, but it is indeed a fact. And there were multiple questions where George Bush either out and out, flat out lied to the 9-11 commission or he kind (laughs) of fudged around and didn't really answer it, wasn't honest with everything that he knew. And... (laughs) It's, it's really incredible to sit here and read this stuff because I can remember seeing George W. Bush and Dick Cheney on television back at the time saying things that a lot of people were already beginning to say weren't true. And these two jokers just kept repeating lies to the American people and to the world And they were able to look straight at the camera and and just lie. Needless to say, this was a very, very sensitive meeting that was held in the Oval Office on that day. And it came, the timing was really bad for Bush because, of course, he was getting ready to gear up for his second term. So, he was getting in campaign mode and the 9-11 commission was getting ready to finish its written report, which would be released to the public in July, which was, you know, not even four months before the election was going to be held. And for that reason, Bush when people, you know, I guess his handlers were saying, you know, it's time for us to wrap this this meeting up. Uh, Bush said, "No, it's my Oval Office," and um, he told the commission, the people, the members of the commission, to go ahead. And apparently the meeting lasted several hours, even though they had planned on maybe just an hour or so. So, from reading this, it's pretty obvious that the real truth behind what happened on 9-11 regarding George W. Bush and his administration was not Told to the public. It was withheld. And so it's pretty upsetting when you, you sit here and you read this stuff, knowing that he lied. And again, are we going to just do nothing about this? Why is it in the United States of America, people who are wealthy? And people who achieve a high level of power seem to be able to get away, for the most part, with their crimes. Someone mentioned Bernie Madoff. You may remember him. He was involved in, what was it, securities and... Tax fraud and stock fraud. I don't, I don't remember what he did. But he was a bad guy and he got charged and sentenced with a crime. And somebody said, well, he was stealing from wealthy people. That's why he was held responsible. It's okay if you do it to the little people, nobody really cares. But when you harm your peers, that then becomes a problem. So um yeah, there was a uh one of the questions asked was uh to what extent Al Qaeda posed a threat to U.S. soil on U.S. soil, and Bush apparently responded that no one told him how, when, or where they would strike, and according to Bush, there was no actionable intelligence about Osama bin Laden and not about al-Qaeda personnel on U.S. soil. And the uh, August 6th, I guess that was the presidential daily briefing about bin Laden's intentions where he was determined to strike on U.S. soil, Bush said that that, was, that briefing was historical in nature and that he had never been informed about the potential for an attack on the U.S. And his comment was, quote, there was no actionable intelligence on such a threat, not one, end quote. So, anyway, I think that this is probably going to warrant more research and probably uh, deserves its own podcast. But it's really, really obvious to me that Bush either uh, lied about tenants position on Al-Qaeda to the commission, or certainly did not pay attention to what Tennant had to say. So, anyway, yeah. I mentioned in a previous podcast that I'm working on a series right now on Richard Nixon, and We all know that Richard Nixon was a crook. Everybody knows about Watergate. What a lot of people don't realize is that Richard Nixon, while he was running for office in 1968, committed treason against the United States of America. Yes, he did. It's documented. He committed a treasonous act against the United States government while he was running to be president in 1968. So I'm going to talk about that. Then I'm going to talk about uh, the stuff that Reagan did. Reagan also committed treason while he was running to be president. George H.W. Bush helped cover up criminal acts. And now we find out that his son, George W. Bush, also acted irresponsibly, and lied to a commission. Should there not be some sort of punishment for that? And followed up with all of the stuff with Trump, which we're still not sure how much further deep down we have to go on the stuff with Trump, but we now know the stuff with Nixon was much worse than we were told. The stuff with Reagan was much worse than we were told. The stuff with George H.W. Bush was worse than we were told. That's regarding the Iran-Contra stuff. And now we find out about Bush, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. We already knew that they lied to start a war and that they tortured prisoners against international law. (laughs) <laughs> and now we're going to find out about Trump. So all of these things are always worse than we're told up front. Are we going to get a whitewashed version, pardon the the term, but are we going to get a cleaned up, cleaned up, less severe, less damning, less criminal version of the Trump actions or are we going to get the whole enchilada all at one time. If the January 6th committee did their job, it sounds to me like we're going to get a lot of it in the next few weeks. So that will give us all something to look forward to. And with that, I'm going to let you guys and gals get out of here early because I've been long-winded the last few podcasts and you probably feel you deserve a break and I'm going to give it to you Thank you very much for your time. I do very, very much appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I would be grateful to you if you'd subscribe and share this podcast to let your friends and family know about it. You can also find me on Twitter at FederalAndy, and I'd be really grateful if you would follow me. I usually follow back. Be happy, safe, and healthy And I'll hopefully be talking to you again next week.